welcome to another episode of On the Grind with Justin Brown. It's your boy Justin here. Uh, try to get through this one as efficiently and with as minimal sniffling as I can. If you can tell, uh, my whole system's kind of clogged up right now with mucus or something. I don't know. It's disgusting. I just feel more backed up right now than a fat ass in the club. It's just... A little bit everywhere with it on the inside. I don't know where this is coming from. Not sure if this is a crazy weather thing, but uh, allergies are just annoying, man. Especially when like medicines don't work. Like I usually take Zyrtec for this shit, but uh, apparently the force is strong with this one, so it's gonna take a little bit more than that to, you know, probably fix it and stuff. But that's cool, I guess. I'll figure it out. But it has been for the past couple of weeks the NBA playoff season. Very excited for this. You know what I mean? I've been, uh, as you guys know, in a few other episodes of the podcast, I talk about my Wizards. My Wizards fan. And, you know, I'm happy because they finally decided to show up Friday night, uh, this past Friday, in Game 3 against the Toronto Raptors. I don't know what the hell was going on um, when they were playing Toronto the first two games, but they got smoked. They got spanked. It was disgusting to see that... uh, Whatever internal bickering and lack of defensive uh, integrity and just things like that, <laughs> it just wasn't there. And I was just watching like, Jesus Christ, I could have been writing. I said I'm watching this game right now. And I like writing and I like being able to do that. But I try to be a good fan. You know I mean, at least through the playoffs, I try to watch every game because there's only but so many. And the way they've been playing these first two games will only be uh, but so many fewer than that. But they finally showed up game three. Bradley, Bill, John Wall combined for like 56 points, man. Almost 60 points between two guys, which is like truly amazing. That's them like playing up to their potential. If you follow Wizards basketball, I mean, these are the faces of the franchise. These are the guys with their heads on this on, on the mural on the side of Ben's Chili Bowl. Next to Dave Chappelle. You know what I mean? So like if Dave Chappelle's up there, hometown guy, and what he represents, and Bill Cosby was up there before. These are like the top dudes in their field at the time they're up there. I'm not saying Bradley, Bill, and John Wall are the top dudes, but they finally uh, showed up on game three where they could garner some respect as the top backcourt in the league, like say for Golden State. If they play like the way they played last night. There is not a better backcourt, I think, in the East. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, good for them, man. I'm just happy. Happy I got to see them win and shit. You know what I mean? I could have spent that time writing. But I'm happy I got to watch that game. And it felt like it wasn't a waste of my time. Watched it with my girlfriend and shit. And she was happy. I always got to be happy because, you know, I'm a little bit gripey. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, uh, I get annoyed very easily. So, thankfully, we didn't have that annoying of a performance last night from the team. So, go Wizards. Looking out for game four tomorrow, Sunday. Still at home in D.C. I'll try to show up if I can, if tickets are affordable. But, you know, with ticket prices in the playoffs, you know, somebody's going to pay 50 or 60 bucks to sit in the nosebleeds. And, I mean, good for them. Whatever high-paying job they have, I am probably going to save that money for a phone bill or something. But, yeah, man, it was really good to see. Uh, that, um, last week was interesting, just on the business and the comedy for me, uh, 
uh, only did one night of comedy last week due to a number of circumstances and factors, and <clears throat> just feeling a little bit deflated about comedy in the area uh, last week, so I actually just took a week off outside of hosting on Monday at Shenanigans, Adams Morgan, uh, if you don't know, 8 o'clock, open mic Monday, but uh, yeah, I had to take a week off for me, and just do some reflecting, some thinking. Try to try to figure myself out a little bit, and I think I did fairly well uh, being able to contemplate and reflect on some things, so I'm happy about that. Got back in the swing of things this week with shenanigans, and then Purple Lounge, and uh, regular. that's a regular Tuesday mic I do, and then uh, Wednesday, I ended up doing a show of Raise One Up, or excuse me, with the Black Market Cartel, cartel with uh, raising money for Raise One Up. Um, so organization or some kind of fundraiser where they're raising money for arts programs, um, uh, either in Montgomery County or DC, one of the two, but either way, it was a good cause. I had hosted there before, but this time I just did a regular spot and did fairly well, did fairly friggin' well. Uh, and you know, I'm very harsh critic. Most people are their own worst critic, but I'm, I'm happy with what I was able to do on the stage, but off the stage. Oh my God, I'm so pissed at myself. I didn't record a single thing. And I had a solid ass set, man. I, you know, I don't try to give myself too much credit when it comes to comedy because I always feel I can work harder. But that set made me feel good. And to know I didn't get a chance to record it in video or audio made me want to go off myself in the parking lot. But at the same time, after I got over those little stupid suicidal thoughts, it was like, okay. Just build up from there, man. That's all you got to do. And that that's part of the game. There's Can't hang your hat on your last set too much. But uh, regardless of how it goes, whether it went real well or real bad, it's all about what have you done for me lately. So I am going to try to redeem myself tonight hitting the mic and get uh, continue on. Keeping fighting the good fight and all that good stuff. And one thing I, I, I tried to do last week that I think has been going well and I'm going to try to move forward with I was speaking on, like, again, taking a, a week off, except for Monday, to work on, like, writing and figuring myself out just, like, as a person, how I want to be on stage and goals and a whole bunch of just, like, internal stuff I think I needed to figure out. Uh, I realized how much of an overthinker I am. And, like, if you're an overthinker, you you, you might be able to tell. You might know you are. Uh, sometimes I forget I'm an overthinker somehow. You know, if I'm thinking as much, I don't know how I would forget stuff, but, like, if you ever just end up in a situation where you get stuck on what, on thinking on what's the next best move instead of just letting things be natural, like I'm trying to learn how to do on this podcast and hosting it and stuff, you get hung up very easily and you get almost stuck on not knowing what to do. You can come up with so many options. You're going to think about what the next best one is or something goofy. Just like, dude, stop thinking about the shit and just do it. Let it flow the what is it like bruce lee said uh become like water you know what i mean uh if it's in a cup it becomes it gets shape it becomes the shape of the cup if it's in the river it flows like a river um if it's doing other stuff it <laughs> you, you do the other stuff with it and just going with the flow and i think that's uh something very critical i was able to realize last week just within myself and how how much i overthink and trying that approach watching some kung fu movies and you know 
hurting my shin, practicing some kicks, uh, made me really realize how much sometimes I just need to stop getting hung up on thoughts and letting things flow. So very good introspective week for me last week that I'm going to use to, well, I wanted to share with you guys in case, you know, if anything is applicable to you and that I'm going to try to use moving forward, uh, more focused in a focused way, uh, where I'm always just going to try to keep that in mind and not try to stress myself out too much over thoughts and stuff. So hopefully that comes across in the podcast. Um, hopefully it comes across in any shows you might see me at or just off stage talking to me in life, whatever, man, whether it's, uh, after a show talking to me or I don't know, talking to me, uh, if you're a cop and trying to arrest me for some racial bullshit i know you guys do it so stop um it's not worth it you're better than that blah 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 don't know where that came from but you know that's always there too always agitated about something anyway before i get too out of focus go ahead go ahead and get this uh episode started um sponsor this week uh is autozone (laughs) Um, not actually the company. I just bought some products from them today that worked and shout out to AutoZone for when my favorite Mexican car wash is backed up by the gillions of cars on a hot summer's day. AutoZone has stuff I can go pick up and wash my car with. So if you're working for AutoZone or wants to shout me out or know somebody can hook me up, please do. Uh, happy to support AutoZone as long as they don't racially profile black people. And I think there's enough black people in their stores working there and, and there's patrons where, at least locally, that hasn't seemed to be a problem. All right, but anyway, we're going to go ahead and get this episode started. Uh, my guest this week is a friend of mine in comedy. I met her a few years ago when I was starting out. And uh, actually, I was about several months into the game when I came across her when she was first starting out. Uh, we met early on in her stand-up comedy career, but she's been very active in the art scene in a number of different ways. She has a history of improv behind her, a history of uh, singing, and a whole bunch of other things she's about to find out. And she's like one of my aunts in comedy, my Asian auntie, good old Devine Kerr. So we're going to go ahead and talk to Devine uh, today and, you know, sit down and have an in-depth conversation for once because... A lot of times we talk as comedians, it's just back of the room, like, hey, how are you? You know, if we're cordial or we're cool with one another, do a little bit of checking in. But I never actually got to sit down and really get to know Devine at this level. And I'm happy I was able to do this conversation. So um, let's let's get into it. And I hope you guys enjoy it. All right, guys, welcome back to the On The Grind podcast uh, with Justin Brown. This is your host, Justin Brown. And today, our guest is a good friend of mine, Devine Kirk. Devine, go ahead. Hey, how are you? You talking to me? I'm talking to all, everybody. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, uh, what's going on, Devine? Um, all right, yeah. Devine, I've met through stand-up, but Devine, go ahead and tell people what you're about. What are you into? I'm into stand-up comedy. I also do storytelling. I've started with improv, so I still do that sometimes also. I'm a visual artist. I do commission work. I paint oh, really? and sculpt. Yep. And I'm also a musician, so I do live music once in a while. Um, I co-host a visual art podcast called Urban Lens at Listen Vision Studio. Um, 
I'm a contributing columnist for Bliss Magazine. Uh, I don't know what else I do. I do some acting too sometimes. If you check on IMDb, I do have two short films and some several commercials. Um, I mean, I'm trying to be everywhere. You know, it's like gardening. You just plug it in everywhere and see what blooms. Holy shit. That's a lot more than you just told me. <laughs> well, I don't know. Unless we weren't do. recording, so I was like, I'm not... Oh, no, it's fine. I, just, uh, I mean, that is a hell of a lot of stuff. Um, hopefully we can squeeze it all in there. I didn't know you were uh, a writer, though. I saw. I, th- I think I saw you painting before. I didn't know you sculpted, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't sculpt as much as I would like to because yeah. I sculpt the India, in, Indiana rock. Like, each piece takes, like, 72 hours to sculpt and, you know, with kids and everything. I don't have all the equipment I have to, like, yeah, but I used to sculpt more when I was in Canada. Like, sculpt pots, or are you talking about, like... Sculpture, like Michelangelo, like chisel. Oh, are you the, Yeah, 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 like the real rocks. What's the, what's the most, what's your most prized art piece you've ever created? Um, well, there's, it's a relief. It's a zebu. It's like a Cambodian cow with a, okay. with an elephant. Um, so it looks like a tomb. It's just a little wink to, like, the Cambodian genocide, you know, I come from Cambodia. And yeah. uh, we're Cambodian refugees, and anyways... So, you know, when people hear Cambodia, you think about Angkor Wat, which, which is all about stone and sculpture. So I wanted to sure. connect with my ancestor. That's why I started doing rock sculpture. Damn. All right. So not only is she the Cambodian queen of comedy, de facto, she's also uh, goddamn, uh, just a multi-talented artist. I didn't know you had that much going on. Okay. That's what happens when you don't have toys growing up. You know, like I, True. I, I didn't have cable. I didn't have toys. My parents were super strict. I couldn't go out. I couldn't do anything. So what do you do when you're locked inside of a room? You homework? go insane. Well, not even homework. I painted, I drew, I do everything just Jesus. like a... Hold on, did you have to go to school growing up? Or is it... Yeah. Did you... Hold on, did you grow up here or did you grow I up... I grew up in Canada. Public? Canada. Okay, yeah. so you went through the Canada public school system. Uh, I actually went to private school my whole life except for college and then I... But everything in French. Okay, and so she speaks, speaks French as well. You just got back from... Um... Montreal recently, yeah. Yes, what were you doing up in Montreal? Uh, well, I visited family, but also I did some comedy shows at the Comedy Works, Comedy Nest, and the Bordel. I did my first French set for the first time. Like completely in French? Completely in French. And not just French, French Quebecer, like with the Quebecer slang. Okay, so Some like the, only the natives would know Yeah, yeah. the, the jargon you use. How'd it go? How long were you up there? It uh, went, it went well. It went well, all things considered, but I forgot they were kind of racist still. Like it's, They're not as woke <laughs> as here. Um, you Is know, white he, racist or who? Yeah, not, because, you know, I, I had a convenience store. Surprise, you know, us Asians. But anyways, but so I didn't feel the racism as much because people knew me. But I forgot that cold turkey when they don't know you in any context. Uh-huh. Then it's a lot of ching chong jokes. Like, I felt some resistance while I was telling my jokes. And I thought yeah. I was paranoid because I never used the race card. But when the guy went after me, he spent three minutes of his set doing Asian jokes. Like, hacky jokes. Like, like we never see Asian mailmen. But if we did, there would be like some egg rolls in a mailbox. Like, it's not even funny. Like, it's just plain stupid. That sounds delicious, honestly. Anyways, <laughs> and, and when people were laughing like crazy, I thought, yeah. oh, wow, okay, this is what's going on. Even though, I mean, racism towards Asians here still exists too, but it's it's like a, it's almost like an invisible issue. People still think it's okay to make fun of Asians. It's not okay to make fun of any other race, and if you did it the other way around. Yeah. But um, but it's I there. Mean, but in Quebec, it was really harsh for that. But, I mean, well, in terms of, I guess, racism towards Asians here, unless you have like a serious beef, it's more so the jokey kind of, I think, hacky kind of stuff still too. Yeah, well, it depends. I mean. It depends. It yeah. depends for what? Uh, towards guys, you know, the whole small dick thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Being geeks and all, but for women, though, it's dangerous because... um. You know what you talk about intersectionality. Sure. Uh, yeah. Asian female um, female comics that are Asian are we're, we're dealing with like racism, yes, for the hack stuff, but it also crossed with um, rape culture 
because oh. a lot of stereotypical things about Asian women are like quiet. You know, it Meek. it yeah, feeds like, yeah. the the, 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 the exactly the zero consent, and if not, you have to tame. I don't know. I, I, that was, I, was <laughs> I know that's not a topic you wanted to cover, but no, ba- basically that. it. But you felt it a lot more in Montreal because people don't really censor themselves. Like it, uh. it, they sounded like if our grandmas. You know how they talk, our grandparents. Yeah, they're a like lot less yeah, they're like one generation behind as far as wokeness. So it was interesting. True. It was still okay. nice, but now I'm better geared. I'm going back in July, and I'm gonna like attack them differently. I'm taking a different strategy. For them. You wanna have some anti-white dude jokes? I've got I'm gonna call them out like on their bullshit. <laughs> if you want them, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you them off the air because I don't know why I'm stealing them. Uh, I don't know, for the two people that listen to this podcast, please don't steal my jokes. <laughs> all right, I guess you gotta get back to a lighter note for a moment. So yes, with all the things that you do, we're probably gonna focus on. Let's start with stand-up and, I guess, storytelling. Did, those, did you start getting to those about the same time you started getting uh, into I did art? Stand up before. Okay. I did stand-up before, and um, and I'll, I was also doing musical improv. How, how old are you? Or, like, this is college? Or you're, like, stand trying up? Oh, things? stand-up is I'm fairly new at, at, okay. at it, you know? Like, it's been, like, in less than five years. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, I just passed my three-year mark, actually, for stand-up. Okay, and you got into that. How come? Uh, well, it, it was a bet. Actually, I, I used to be part of a mommy group. Okay. Uh, and literally called the Desperate, ho- Desperate Housewife of Loudoun County. Hey. Um, you know, I started my own IT company, and then after that I Jeez. got pregnant, so I decided to like stay home uh, so I could work from home and then raise the kids at the same time. And then yeah. I was part of this mommy group, and they were just jerks, and the women were so bitter. And all- Every time we met, they were talking about which person had the most expensive tree or which fridge or which, I don't know. And another lady would like not get laid like, she won't sleep with her husband unless he builds her more shelves. And, like, really weird dynamic. And I didn't fit in that. And then my kids started getting beat up. Like, they were always excluding the Asians. Like, you would see, like, five to ten blonde kids attacking the Asian kids. Like, ah, boo, get out of there. And I thought, okay, you, you know. Yeah, and I thought, I don't want to expose my kids to that. Like, this is not... Um, and then people were attacking me anyways. They said, Devine, boys will be boys. And I'm like, yeah. no, assholes will be assholes. Um, if I wanted them to beat up people, I would take them to a martial art class. But this is supposed to be fun for them. So I left the group, and then I got really pissed. I talked to my friend. Yeah. Um, and then she said, well, what do you want to do? Because I said, I'm, so- I'm tired of being around people who are dumb. Like, And she said, well, you need like-minded people. So what would you like to do? And I said, comedy. So okay. she said, do something. So the next day, I found a meetup group that did improv. What's the name of the group? Are they still uh, no, well, it was called... It didn't have a name yet. It was just um, improv in Centerville. Okay. And then when we practiced after a while, they asked how many people wanted to perform like on a stage and be more serious. Sure. And then we became 52 pickups. Um, and then we had more drama than there were talent in there. <laughs> like so many stories, but not enough stage time. And I got Fair frustrated. Enough. And then we turned into Nacho Problem. So that's the troop now. If you look on the Facebook page, it's called Nacho Problem. Okay. And I'm part of that. We practice as much as we can, but it's like herding cats sometimes. It's really hard. I, you wow. know, one girl has a law firm that she just launched and another one just got Jeez. pregnant. And so, you know, it's really hard to meet up. Um, but anyways, I did a lot of improv with them. Yeah. And uh, and then one time we booked a show called um, So You Think You're Funny with okay. Pat Coffee. It was like at that Greek restaurant. Oh, Pat Coffee, I love it. I think you I... were on that show. And I saw Yoshi there that night and Mark. Anyways, there's a bunch of people that I recognize now. Yeah. And we were the improv troupe that were the intermission. Oh, D'Angelo was there too. And um, I forgot. There's, there's a lot of people now that I recognize. And we, so when I saw the improv show then, uh, the stand-up, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's when I got home and I wrote a set. I said, hey, I want to do that too. Okay. So. And then yeah, how long until you wrote that? 
I wrote Between my. Then and when you got on stage. Uh, I gave myself three months to write all the jokes, and then I started with stand up to go with Kurt Shackleford. Okay. So I was a Kurt baby. People say that when they start with him. Anyway, so I did the first three shows with him, and after that, actually the fourth time I ever did stand up, that's when I met you, and it was at Jose Grill. Oh, that place. Jeez. I know, and then I, I complimented you on a cardigan, and then um, you went up right before me, and after that, for three shows in a row, you were always the the comic right before me. That was your good luck charm. I know, I know. You were like that stone. Like I'm like, okay, this is this 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 guy is like good people. So appreciate it. Um, okay, hold on. So I was there your first time on stage. The third, Before, uh, uh, fourth, fourth time. Fourth time. Okay. I did the first three shows with Kurt, and after that, uh, found out about Alex Star, and then continued with Alex. him. And exactly, yep. Shout out to Alex. Okay. That's great that he helped like newbies, you know, because otherwise, back then. Yeah, I mean, he still does. He's yeah. He just put on a show. Uh, Yesterday at Fire Station, so he's in between here and New York still. But yeah, shout out to him. Uh, like Alex Brown, former guest on the show too. Just you know, we put a lot of us on early on, so we always do appreciate right, that. Right. Okay. And in terms of, I guess the storytelling, then you said that started before the stand up, or is that no, about the so same I was, time? Or I was already doing stand up, yeah. and then after that, I joined Laugh Index Theater, and then they had some workshops for um, improv and musical improv. Sure. And while I performed there, I met. I met this guy named Michael Zhuang, okay. uh, part of the troupe. He's a storyteller, and he happened to host a story short slam, which is a competition. Okay. You know, first prize gets $100, second prize gets $50. So he invited me on the show, and that was fun. I, I won on the second show, the second time I went there. Oh, damn. And then uh, somebody from The Moth um, named Mojde Spor. I'm sorry, Mojde, I don't, know. I don't know if I can pronounce her last name properly, but... She was there and she asked me, hey, have you ever heard of The Moth, which is a storytelling group that comes from New York. Okay. And uh, they're like nationwide and they're on NPR and everything. And so she invited me over to perform at the Howard Theater. That's where I've seen them. Okay. Yeah. And then so that's when um, that's when I've started performing there, too. So I've done some stand up mostly and, and, and um, storytelling once in a while when I can. I mean, okay. because the show format, they have a theme every month. Yeah. So if you have a, a story that fits the theme, then you go and submit, you know, so... What I like about it is because it cha- challenges you to write a new content each time. You know, with stand up, you do your set, right? And you grow it, of course. Yeah. But um, but for stand up, uh, for storytelling, you know, you never know. I don't know. I think Kinda it's like a... one and done. Like once you've done it, you can't go back to it with the. Well, same you thing. can reuse it because some some themes. There's different. Uh, there's so many different. Um, oh, okay. Groups that do storytelling, right? There's Perfect like Liars the Club. Moth, there's the Moth, Perfect Liars Club, um, Better Said Than Done, Stoop in Baltimore. Uh, there's there's a lot of group and it's. People don't know enough about storytelling, which is not necessarily the same thing as stand-up. There's Story District, of course. I forgot the main big one. Okay. That's like the DC improv of storytelling. Oh, sure. um, and, um, but so you can reuse stuff. And, and it's a different discipline completely. You know, you it can, sounds like it. You can't just do jokes and all. Yeah, you, you need an arc. And it's a whole story from the beginning till the end. And it has to be also true. Jesus. That so. is good. Is that a newer, I guess, form of... If, I mean, storytelling has obviously been around for a while, but I guess like competitive or a group, or whatever the classification is for that style of storytelling. Is that fairly new? I, 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 I obviously, I honestly or... don't know about this. I mean, the first okay. time I ever heard about it was four years ago. Okay. I went to a, a storytelling at the 930 Club. It was for Valentine's Day. It's called Sucker for Love, and that's under okay. the umbrella of um, Story District. And I thought it was so great. But um, what's great about that also is they don't expect you to be funny, so when you do tell a joke, it's like, Wah! And, and the audience is like we're talking about 500 people in the audience that is completely different from stand up well, I was at the Lincoln Theater because I was a Story Slam champion last year okay 
Um, not Chip. Uh, I mean, uh, one of the winners. So yeah. then you perform at the Lincoln Theater. And that was like 1,200 people. That was amazing. Damn. Oh, so what's the biggest crowd you've ever been in front of? I've been... 1,200. Yeah, that's, that, that's, I think that's it. That is about 10 times as big as the biggest group I've ever been in front of. Holy shit. How do you keep your composure with that? Is that something you were just already... Were you already just comfortable from doing well, other arts and stuff in front of that 1,200 group? Or how? You know what's great about storytelling is that it's you. Only you know the story, so no one knows if you messed up. Like, it's not... It's your story. I mean, it, it's, you know, it, it's more of a, a flow, but it's you, yeah. it's raw. And the people who go watch storytelling are not the same audience necessarily that go see stand-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't, you know, they go there. Wanted like, something different. Well, it's for people who like reality TV or true story or, you know, okay. Lifetime. Like, it's it's heart-wrenching. It doesn't have, storytelling is not always funny. Like, you go there and people share their stories about rape, story. There's different, it's really, it's really raw, but it's really sincere. Okay. And that's why I like it a lot because with stand up, there's it's it's just different, just different art form. Yeah, I feel like with stand up, at least you have to be. Not only do you have to be entertaining, you have to be, I guess, entertaining in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. There's it's a. So I guess, it sounds like storytelling is a little bit more freeing for you than or. Uh, but yes and no. Know. What I know is that storytelling okay. does help with stand up, because okay. you can, it it adds a frame to it. So then. If you're used to doing storytelling, you know there's this uh, rhythm. Yeah, yeah. Telling the story, right? There's an intro. And there's a character, there's a conflict, there's a resolution, and then a conclusion. If you can put jokes inside of there, then it gives you a frame. It's not just random okay, jokes. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of stand-up st- um, stand comedians that are great storytellers, like Mike Birbiglia is the best example. I like him a lot, and his whole format is very storytelling-based. Um, George Carlin was telling stories. Richard Pryor, Chris Rock does a lot of storytelling. Have you heard of Ali, Ali Sadiq? Uh, don't, I'm not familiar. I've seen his name, but I never listened to his set, actually. He's from Texas. Um, just dropped a new special on Comedy Central as well, probably in February. Right. But me and my girl saw him back when he was in D.C. at the Improv for the first time in February. Heard him on his CDs, great stories in person. It's even better. Like, he's up there with, like, Bill Cosby for right. me almost in terms of being able to tell a story and just sell it. Right. And... and be a long story with a, just a few jokes in it but you're in, entertained the whole way like it's a very commendable thing because i think about like just trying to write a set and like how do i make this joke last longer than a minute right that's difficult on its own where you're talking like a 20 minute story well the, tell the, that on stage like one story from start to end right. having to punch that up layer it up getting the details and then with a call back and wrap it up with a bow all that it's like an incredible amount of discipline like how do you how how do how, how I guess how do you, how are you able to get to that level of discipline of being able to you know, be, not only be a good storyteller but like win stuff you know what I mean so obviously a good stellar, good enough storyteller if you're like winning things and being able to entertain a group of twelve hundred how do you how do you develop that level of discipline in order to do that you think I, I don't know if discipline for me is the right thing because okay. um I love it so much and I have so many stories I want to share like like I coming from multiple backgrounds like I'm a double level immigrant you know like I'm a we left Cambodia, and then after that, I wrote in Canada, right. and I came here, and I, I just have so many <laughs> stories that I want to share, and I always feel like there's not enough stage time, and you know, um, I just wish we had longer sets too. You know, like for stand up, it's mostly like five minutes if you do open mics, mm. seven on different ones, um, and then when you know, sometimes they give you ten or fifteen when you feature, right. and then and then you know, I've headlined sometimes, but my most was forty five minutes. Oh, no, oh. actually fifty. Yeah, but. About an hour. Yeah, yeah, but but it was like West Virginia, so I don't want to discredit it. It was great. 
it was an hour, but it was an interesting night. But um, but I'm just saying we don't get a lot a lot of chance to do a long set. Yeah. And for storytelling, it's your life, so it makes sense. But for stand up, you know, it's a. Uh, I just wish we had more occasion to grow it and quilt all your jokes together. Because sometimes, you know, what's scary when you do a long set in stand up is did I already tell that joke? <laughs> because you know you talk, you've been talking for thirty minutes. You can't keep track of everything, and I'm like. My biggest fear when I do a long set is like, did I repeat myself? Because that would be the worst. They just look at you like, hey, see, now like, I don't, I don't know. True. So I guess you don't. Are you a person that structures what you're going to say before you get on stage for stand up? I try, I try, but then once you're on there, sometimes you just, sometimes you add stuff. I mean, I, I go with a, yeah. I write some keywords like a set list of a certain flow. Okay. Um, you know, some jokes that I already done, but when I listen to all my previous recording, uh-huh. they're never quilted the same way. Like they don't come in the same order necessarily. Sometimes based on the previous set, like the, the comic that went before me, then I'll respond to his, and then then it makes me start in the, the middle of my set, that you know, like my joke number 15 instead of my first one normally. So it reshifts everything. So you never know what's going to happen, even if it's the same joke. That's what's great about it. It's like a dance. And I, I think that's just a good practice to do anyway. Right. Um, I forget. I've heard this plenty of times from, like, listening to professional comedians, like, people I look up to and right. stuff just talking about it's good to switch the order of your set around because it always introduces possibly a new way for a segue exactly tags exactly. and things like that keeps the material fresh keeps you on your toes right um it just allows for a more organic experience and I think that's that's dope you did that without even having to you know have to hear it from someone else first just <laughs> doing that on your own that's not something I would have naturally thought of because I'm a person that needs that kind of... Like, I need to know when I'm starting at right. and where I'm getting to in all the directions. Like, I have to have MapQuest printed out before I get on stage. Otherwise, I'm going to be crashing into some shit. But there's nothing wrong with that either. I mean, I think it's like art. Any art, people all have different process. Whatever yep. works with you, you know, and then... But just, we just have to allow to break rules. I mean, they say learn the rules first so you can break them later, right? So Yeah. I mean, that's what I try to do. It, 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 it would be nice... Because it sounds like you're super comfortable on stage. It sounds like you're very comfortable with just art and expression in general. I think that's something that's definitely not common in the comedy scene here. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's because you have like an art upbringing or that's just naturally you or you do other arts which made you, you know, Maybe. more comfortable with a little bit of chaos to it. But well, they I all, definitely they respect all cross. that. You know, every art has a, a cadence. It's, like a, it's, it's a rhythm. Yeah, right? yeah. So even when music, when I compose music... Um, that's why I try to play with my set more and more too. I try to do the equivalent. Like if it was music, which rhythm would it have, right? Okay. So, so. Can you give me an example. Well, you you know, like music. Let's say when you start as a comic, right? Sure. Um, you have this set up punchline, set up punchline. So uh, let's say you tell jokes, it would be like. But you see the real pros. They're like jazz. Jazz. It's not Justin Bieber beat anymore. It's not just predictable like verse and then chorus. Like in music, it becomes jazz. It's okay. more like... like Even in the music, when you listen to it, the cadence is different. So that's what I'm trying to work on, just to add colors and textures. Just like in even in visual art, when you do painting, yeah, there's stuff that look like flea market or like art 101. But when you look at the real artists that are masters, they, they have different layers and they, they surprise you. There's always a surprise element. right? And that's what um, you go for? Well, that's what I thrive for. It doesn't mean I reached it. I'm just saying that's what I'm working on now. It's hard. Yeah. I don't know if I... That, that's what I... That, that, that's my goal. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Is there a reason... Well, I guess you might have touched this one already. But is there a reason why you prefer 
it to be more musically than like uh, than anything else? I think it's just how I approach art in general. I like okay. I like a whole um, multi-dimension. I like imagery. I like rhythm. I like connection with the the audience. That's why I love storytelling because you really connect. People really know you. When you do storytelling, it's it's required to it to for it to be truthful. You know, when you do stand up, people can still say, "Oh, that was just a joke." But when you do stand up, when you leave the stage, people really come and hug you and say, I'm, "I have no idea. This is how you grew up." Like there's there's something that makes you vulnerable. People do that to you after stand up. No, um, storytelling. Oh, okay, okay. But but if I can bring that rawness also to stand up, which a lot of people are afraid of being vulnerable in that way, but that's what I like about storytelling is as and that that connection you get with the audience. Yeah. If you can reach that for stand up, I think it's really a big key because when people care about you, you leave. It's not just jokes. It's like this is who that person was. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you leave us something extra for the audience. Yeah, because um, sorry. So caveat, not a caveat. Uh, <laughs> disclaimer. Excuse me. Right. I I'm a I believe I give out the best secondhand advice in terms of I digest information <laughs> sometimes to a default, but I try to listen to as many like professional you right, know, comedians right. and things you know to get the best advice. Not even comedians, just like professionals who are great in their field for things. And um, that to say, in terms of. Okay. In terms of just being memorable on stage, right? You can go up there, at least in the stand-up comedy, you can say a lot of jokes. That doesn't guarantee people are going to remember you. If, if you look up, if the people you look up to generally in whatever field you're in, your favorite artists, whether they're stand-up or sculptors or whatever, they're usually people that have a message or a point right. to their art, and that's what people can sink their teeth into. Like, you can know someone's funny, but you know a lot of people are just funny probably just from life. There are very few people that can be funny and mean something to you at the same time. And right. that's, again, something I find commendable about your approach to art. Uh, a lot of people might not have the mindset to do that, but I think... Well, I try. I mean, yeah. like they say in French, I, ha I still have a lot of crumbs to eat until I get oh, the, yeah. until the, the bread loaf, you know, but uh, I'm just telling you, that's what I aspire to. In terms of, I guess, um, just creation itself so you have a lot of different mediums to create so obviously that's all coming from somewhere right where does all of that energy and where does the motivation come from and then on top of that what are your more consistent subjects that you create from or on in all of your art so like if it's a consistent like part of your life that you pull from that you can use in any different medium that you love to create with is there one in particular that stands out to you or well my, my family story is my first uh vessel i mean if i don't know if you heard about how we escaped cambodia oh i mean do tell i mean um so in 1975 the communists took over right and they assassinated my whole father's family uh we're the last curs in cambodia and um oh, and then i grew up in montreal and we had a convenience store and people always assumed that we were poor or you know like if we have a little store to, Really? They don't know that. Uh, yeah, a lot of people would come to me like I would read a book and they say like, "Oh wow, you're, you're pretending to be smart." And you know, I'm like, "Dude, I went to college school." <laughs> what? Yeah, I get a lot of a lot of um. There's a lot of prejudice and stereotypes, you know, about Asians and everything, and and I could never tell people like, no, you know, like my father was like military family, and that's why I love the movie uh, Coming to America, right? Because really? I can really relate to Prince of Zamunda because he. You know, like he's still classy even when he takes the trash out. Like, like. Oh, I thought you were saying you came to America to sew your royal oats, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's what I thought. No, but, but what I mean is, um, oh my God, I feel like I'm all over the place, but I, I have so many things I want to talk about. But I'm just saying, like, 
for example, people here, like especially in D.C., sure. in Loudoun County, people focus a lot on money. And they say, oh, you know, this is power. You have money. You're... And to me, that never really meant anything because I know directly royal family from Cambodia who lost everything from the war and live mm-hmm. in an apartment. Are they less classy people? Damn. No, because it's not about what you have in your bank account. It's really about your manners, your way of life, how you, you know, like noble, always noble. It's not snob. It's, this is not even about like social status. It's just, you know what you've learned? How you carry yourself. A little how bit. you carry yourself, how you treat other people. They don't have anything to prove. They already know where they came from. And even if they live in a small shit house, and, you know, driving, whatever, it didn't. It doesn't matter, you know? So that's where, that's the kind of way I was brought up. And anyways, but when we left Cambodia, anyways, back mm-hmm. to that story, we were four on a bicycle. I was a baby um, in my mom's sling. Yeah. My brother was in a steering wheel and my father pedaled through the Cambodian jungle. Oh, where was your mom? In the back on the luggage compartment. Oh, shit. You know, okay. and uh, th- there's just so much. I don't even know how much time you have, but so. Where's yours? <laughs> the, um, my dad just changed a tire, right? And okay. then when we pedaled, there was a guy that walked from the opposite side with a brand new tire and he offered my father, like, do you want a tire? My dad said, I don't need one. We just packed, you know, we, we just left and it's a brand new bike. Well, about two hours later, the front tire popped. So my dad was like, I will have to turn around. And then they caught up and they found the guy. And um, my grandma had a brilliant idea from a different, there were two groups of people. Anyways, I have too many details, but uh, they thought of boiling some rice inside of a teapot. Sure. So that if they carry it, the communists would just think it's just water. But it was actually rice, and they hid their gold at the bottom. So that's what they used to like buy everything. And nice. So they used that gold to buy a new tire. When my dad replaced it, the people who were biking with us, because there were a bunch of groups of people escaping, yeah, yeah uh, they all got assassinated. And then we went through this border, and the people behind us got assassinated. So basically, that bike that popped yeah. saved our life. So that's why um, one of my art projects, my first painting that I did, was called The Lucky Bicycle. So it it illustrates my family's escape. So I always felt like... That's why I always felt like I had a purpose for something. Like like I needed to do something. You know? Uh, If it's not to talk about... (laughs) So, you know, my parents always made fun of me. They said we didn't flood Cambodia in the jungle and risk our life. Because, you know, a lot of babies um, were crying in the jungle. I know that's how they would find a family and... but I had my mom's breath in my mouth the whole time and I was quiet. Like, I was the only quiet baby. I didn't make a peep. Like, and Jeez. and my mom always said that we didn't escape Cambodia for you to become a clown in a stand-up. You were supposed to be a doctor or something like that. So I respond to my mom said, no, I did not escape Cambodia and survive all of this for me to do something that's not in the public scene. Fair. Damn, that is, that, damn. No wonder you're wearing challenges and, or competition and shit. That's a hell of a story. Yeah, that's just a that's a portion. If you knew about, it was so crazy. When I came back to Montreal recently, my dad told me more stuff like I never knew before. Like I did not know my sister died in my dad's arms. I did not know that my my grandfather had to wear his military outfit, and he had to walk in the street um, in his military uniform. And they told him that the king was there, but he was walking towards his death. And when he got there, they shot him. Um, Damn. It's just really. So, so basically, now you have an idea of why I have a lot of anger and a lot of things I need to say and a lot of... Yeah, you have, like, an eternal muse. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I have, like, hours and hours to draw from and to try to write comedy around that. Storytelling works because then I don't have to tell jokes. But So I start with that first, and then from there, I see what I can do with jokes. Um, so that's pretty much it. <laughs> Damn, talk about a powerful story. That is... Jesus Christ. 
Oh, yeah, not that's good, but, um... Okay, um, alright, is there, I guess, what other... I mean, that's a lot to draw from, I know, right? I know, so, I'm sorry. No, you're good, uh, I mean, that's deep, like, just thinking about, you know, war, and just, like, following war, and, like, the stuff that's going on with Syria right now, well, like... Right now, it's crappy in Cambodia, too, I'm really upset, because China wants to turn back into a communist country. They don't They're losing a democracy. The neighboring... It's just insane, you know, it's... I mean, it's crazy just thinking about, like, how, like, you know, bigger countries right. kind of just completely will do what they want to a degree. They're very cavalier about how they treat the smaller ones, whether they're neighbors or, like, right. they have interest in across the seas and stuff. And that, damn. It's just, thinking, hearing that story about Cambodia and, like, your family, maybe just think about what Syria, what's going on and stuff. Right, that's, right. It's heavy stuff to think about, but at the same time, like, if you... To keep it, I guess, in the perspective of comedy and creation, like Richard Pryor, for example. Right. One of the biggest, if not, to me, he's the best stand-up that ever existed on the public scene. Um, but he dealt with rough like, topics. Yeah, him. I mean, I've got, like, three of his books over there. Right. And, like, each one, you could tell, like, he had something strong to, to pull from because he went through so many traumatic things. Um, growing up in Peoria with his mom, you know, uh, being a prostitute, Grandma being a, a, a madam in a, in a brothel and, you know, sexual harassment, like, you know, all the stuff he faced. Right. Um, that's, that's just heavy stuff to pull from. I guess, is, are there any brighter <laughs> spots <laughs> from your life you try to pull from? Or is it all, let me start with oh, the no. heavy and then see what I can... Actually, I started with the with bright that. and the light thing, too. You know, okay. I mean, when I started stand-up, I was delusional. Because Are we all? It's like, do you think? No, but hear, hear me out on this, this one. <laughs> I was so delusional because I was afraid because my family is very known in Cambodia. Okay, they're really known, like like a. Like it's safe to go back now, known or? Well, when I do go back, I mean, yeah. um, I'm talking about like I don't go through security and the military. My grandfather, when he went to a restaurant, they would leave the restaurant so he could sit alone. Like people talk about money, I had. Oh shit! I can't say it out loud, but anyways, so I was afraid. If I did stand up, that I would say the wrong thing, and it yeah, would offend. Yeah. So I, I used to tell a friend. I said, you know, I don't want to offend Cambodia because, first of all, we don't have any female stand up comedian yet in America. I'm the first. Do you have any male stand up comedians? I don't. Uh, Com- Cambodian, some. I met someone on a showcase. I did a first showcase. Like international ever. comedians, like not they're not only in Cambodia, like they're outside of Cambodia. Um, doing not really, thing. no, not. Okay, so I mean, uh, really, besides, you're like an actual non in Cambodia Cambodian comedian. Yeah, exactly. You're kind of it. Well, there's other, there's other guys, but they're not really performing. As, they're not grinding us. We're all fairly new. Yeah. But um, are they on your level in terms of where a oh, place please don't they make can me. get to? No. You're, <laughs> if they're, they're listing, you're, I don't want to. You're, you're Cambodian uh, Richard Pryor. Well, for, the, right, the, at least right fir- now. The first Cambodian American showcase ever happened mm-hmm. uh, last year uh, when they launched a the movie called First I Killed My Father on, on Netflix. It was an Angelina Jolie who produced it. Okay. And they made me headline, so. Made you headline? Yeah. Uh, I think you earned it. And you no, I mean, I, I got, no, I, I should have said, I, I got to headline and it was really great. So. Yeah. Okay, yeah. You're, you're the number one Cambodian stand-up then, at least in America. So, wear that title with pride. Stop hiding behind shit. I know. But what you, I'm, you're not so, a person that likes to gloat, I don't think, but I will gloat for you. No. Thank you. you. But what I wanted to say is I was delusional because I was afraid I was going to upset Cambodia if I said something wrong. Like what kind of stuff? 
anything. I'm a, I mean, I'm a woman. You're not even supposed to like. Look, I mean, I came from a super conservative family where I cannot. You know, the the type of comments I had growing up was, "She's so stubborn. She's gonna want to choose her own husband." Mm. Mm. So from that and who I am on the stage talking openly and bold, mm. I mean, it's day and night. Like this is not what Cambodia is used to, and expect from their woman. You know, so. So anyways, when I started, I was afraid of, you know, the, the type of backlash from the community. Sure. Uh, because they, sure. they have comedians in Cambodia, but it's more slapstick. It's more sketch comedy. Vaudeville, kind of? Like, it's not stand-up. It's it's comedy, but it's more like, you know... Like vaudeville. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, like, like you know... Like Chaplin and uh, Mark's, uh, yeah, yeah. Mark's Brothers kind uh, of stuff. Baseball like bat slapstick. hitting. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, like, how ah, you slept with this, like... A lot of cheating jokes, a lot of... Uh, They're like 70 years behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but stand-up stuff... I mean, they're starting. There's some scene. Okay. But... It's not, you know, but the ones that are in Cambodia stay there and, you know, they don't really travel or do... Does it depend nothing. on, like, the, le- the the laws? There's, like, is it... Do you think there's a stand-up scene possibly developing there because the laws are becoming a little more liberal and open towards that, or are they... Yes and no. It's... it's, it's that's a whole nother topic because the Cambodia I know yeah. is through my parents and I, I need to know it from my eyes. And my parents, the Cambodia they know is since 79. Okay. Do you understand? There's since the whole... Yeah, since they left, and there's everything's changed. Like even the diaspora who left Cambodia, even the recipes that my parents have, yeah, barely exist still in Cambodia. Because everyone who left during the communists, it was all the intellectuals and people in power and rich and so they exterminated the whole culture, not even just people. Just yeah, like there's the a lot of things is... that I need to discover when I go back. But I just also there's a lot of stuff that I my parents didn't expose me to because they were afraid I would. Anyway, there's really so many topics. Like social classes are different over there. You know, there's no middle class. So there's right, a lot of Cambodians that I couldn't even here. talk to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my family are kind of snobbish in that way. So when I went to Long Beach, that was a whole new... That was a huge new world for me because I saw what Cambodians... Long Beach? Because there's a huge community there. It's, there's, on top of Chinatown, they have Khmer Town. It's a Cambodian town. Oh, shit. Okay. Like, I walked outside. like You know, they have a bridal store and it's not like okay. the white dress. It's Cambodian... Cambodian, like, wedding dresses. So probably a lot more beautiful than the traditional white shit here. I'm imagining. It's all different. I, I like both. I'm, but what I'm saying is like it's all Cambodia. Like I was not, I, ne- I was never immersed in around that many Cambodians. And, you know, to see them yeah. walk out of the street and pick up a Cambodian dish at the restaurant, like the, the Cambodian clubs there, like music club, and white people go there dressed as Cam- like even white people want to be Cambodian <laughs> there. I mean, that was really <laughs> dope. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, I'm not Cambodian enough, so I need to go back. But, uh, Did anybody I, recognize you or the name? Like, I'm Devine. The older people, Kerr. though. Well, the old, see, it's the older generation. Yeah. Which is my family. Um, so that's what I was saying. Oh, so that's what... Cheat. Cheat. <laughs> Weird accent. Um, Sorry. That's where I was going with this. When I, when I said I was delusional when I started comedy, and I was afraid I would offend Cambodia, my friend told me, Devine, if Cambodia hears about you, that means you made it. Otherwise, no one will know. So that's when... Because it's true, right? Like, you only offend them if it... If your hometown, yeah yeah, 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 but I'm like, I just start. Nobody hears you. You're like nobody when you start. So that's why I'm okay now. So we'll see. I won't have to deal with it yet. <laughs> that's remarkable. Okay, so like in terms of, we touched on this a little bit before the podcast. In terms of what motivates you and what kind of message you want to have in your comedy or your storytelling and things like that. Like obviously you want to tell your story, your experience. You want to represent Cambodia. Um come across in a good light not only for yourself but for like the country and right sort of be like an activist for that what would you say you're like a full-fledged activist then or i'd like to get more involved i mean i 
last Monday, I was um, invited to be a speaker for um, the entire harassment week, uh, entire street okay. harassment week, you know, with the Me Too movement and everything. That was yeah. that was an... that was a confirmation of why I'm doing comedy. I was like, if I wasn't doing comedy, people wouldn't have invited me to speak. And that really told me, like, this is why I'm doing this, this you know, to be able to have a platform and a voice and not be an advocate for any cause, um, not just Cambodia either. But um, Yeah, I mean, this was in, you said Washington, D.C., right? Where was it? Yeah, it was at Freedom Plaza on Monday. Okay. Um, and this covered, you said it wasn't about Cambodia, it was about anti-harassment. So Anti-street harassment. So who, who put the event on? Oh, my gosh, the list is long. Let me... Let me go back to... <laughs> so it was like multiple groups, you said, right? Well, it was um, put on by Collective Action for Safe Spaces, uh, No Justice, No Peace, Black Lives Matter DC, DC Coalition Against Domestic Violence, uh, Black Youth Project, and then the comedians were um, um, me, Devine Kerr, and then Nikki Fuse, and Chelsea... Short. 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 I don't know what I was going to say. Anyways, um, and then there were some music performers, too. It was a great event. Uh, okay. Yes. How often do you do events like that, or... Um, I think a good, like, every three months, like, I do, like, a fundraiser for children. I used to okay. host a fundraiser last year for Caring for Cambodia. Yeah, 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 So that lasted about a year. Um, you know, so every time people came and ate and supported the comedy, the proceed went to the children. And uh, for the year that I was there, we, we raised enough money to, um, to, um, build four irrigation, uh, system in schools for children. So that was a great Nice. Like project. a whole, like... Underneath the fields, irrigation system. Yeah. Or like, you mean like irrigation boxes. Like yeah, water. yeah, underneath the field so that they have like clean water and everything for the schools. Oh, shit. That is dope. Wow. Because uh, 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 I guess for, to preface my next question, that um, one of the main motivations for me getting into comedy, I, have you seen Dave Chappelle's special for what of it's course. worth? Yes. Okay. So if you guys don't know, it's his second, Dave Chappelle's second special, the lesser known of his first two. Um, and he does a bit in that special that motivated me to want to do comedy. It, the bit's called How Old Is 15 Really? Do you remember that one? Mm-hmm. It was about the uh, the smart Elizabeth Smart Girl, the one that got kidnapped and got stuck in a house right. and something. And like people were looking for her. And one of his punchlines was like, I guess she wasn't so smart after all. Because <laughs> she was stuck in there for like, I don't know, days, weeks or whatever. But he juxtaposed that against an eight-year-old girl who got kidnapped. Another part of the U.S. Right. Uh, got kidnapped at three, was back at home at eight, watching herself on the news. Like, she chewed through the ropes and got herself out, called her family, and this girl put her brain to use. And then he juxtaposed that even further right. to uh, a, a case where it was a 15-year-old boy in Florida who was practicing wrestling moves with his neighbor on the roof. I don't know why they would be on the roof, but that's what they were doing. And anyway... It just sounds some, cooler. It, it sounds cooler, except for the fact that... Uh, he tried one move, the older gentleman fell off the roof, died, and they gave that 15-year-old boy life in prison. So his the overall punchline is, like, if you can give a 15-year-old boy life in prison, he's, I think it's okay to pee on him. Because he juxtaposed all that stuff back to the R. Kelly case, and the right. girl was, like, 15, being able to make a decision. Right. And I think that was something that motivated me, because um, not only was that shining a light on injustice, Right. There's also like a real kind of logical, like, you know, look at this closer. Right. And then it was still funny to it. So like, that's the kind of comedy I think I want to have at the end of the day, because that's the thing that made me want to get into it. That kind of awareness, that kind of like real social lens right. of what's going on in the world, but also keeping it 
funny and digestible. And, so, and, and with a beautiful form, just like when he did the... And I cooked her in a pussy, like, at the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it just wrapped up perfectly, like, as it was a, a perfect call back, and you didn't see it coming. Like, he's brilliant. He's oh, like, yeah. I mean, he's still one of my favorites. Uh, it's not only just storytelling, having a message in comedy, keeping it funny. Right. How, how do you want your comedy storytelling to evolve? Like, what is, at what point do you think you'll be able to look at what you're doing and... and be happy with what you accomplish if you're not already like that. I feel I'm a person that needs to work to be happy with a right. certain level of quality. How, how about you? Well, I'm considering my three years, I'm happy about my journey so far. Okay. Three years in? Stand-up. Only stand-up, right? Only stand-up. Okay. Um, but, you know, in the beginning, I was more of about joke writing, right? So it was okay. a lot of random topics, and I like absurd. I like stories, but, you know, <laughs> I like to... Um, they say if you have an idea A, you go for the idea D. So I was trying to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I, I like to, um, I like imagery a lot, like I say, and play with um, words and concepts and all. But, but now that I'm more confident with my work, so that's why I'm starting to f- open up more. Like in storytelling, it's easy because it's already vulnerable in a theme. Yeah. But it's only recently that in my stand-up, I talk more about real issues and real topic that matters to me, like really close to my heart. So I still have those little bits, you know, like, like yeah. some jokes that are. That somebody else could tell. That's not about, It's not personal enough. That you know, I, I find them funny. They they've been working, but I wanted to make it more personal uh, as I evolve in my set. So. Do you, how do you think at at a certain point then that there's a possibility that you could lose? Uh, I guess that personal connection with your art, or I guess outside of always telling a personal story, are there other ways? You can keep it, whether it's stand-up or storytelling, like a uh, an art that is close to you. Yeah, just outside of personal storytelling. I know it's... Well, it's never going to be just that anyways. You know, I... I um... But I think it's the best platform for me to be free. You know, when you do oh. acting, you're not the one who writes the script. Right. Um, Unless you are. Like, yeah, only two yeah. people do it. But, but even that, it's still... Um, you know, that's what's so liberating about stand-up is no one... Like if something does bad, you don't report to anyone. It's really you, you know, like, and the more shows you do, the more each show is less important as far as you remember when we just started and you do five sets and one of them was a little more rough. You thought that was the end. <laughs> but when you do like 500 shows and more then one is like, eh, you know, it was a rough night. But there's something beautiful about stand up that you can always get back up, you know, and as long as you don't deal with it. anyways there's other stuff behind stand-up too that's hard it's not just about writing the jokes about getting booked and, yeah. and where to go and clicked and politics and stuff which I, st- I try to stay away from anyways yeah you know but i'm not in that age group anyways you know like i, I mean luckily like um <laughs> like you know I, I don't i don't have to smoke weed with the cool kids to like you know like <laughs> or you know like i'm just saying there's nothing wrong with it but i'm saying i'm kind of not really part of A you know i not really, and it's not that I have anything against it, but I mean, I do my set, I go back home, I have kids to feed. No, that's a beautiful thing. You like, know, you like I... don't have to worry about sitting around blowing smoke up a guy's ass just so you <laughs> get a better spot the next week and stuff like that. I, I try not to. I mean, I, I, I'd like to hope that my work speaks for me. You know, I always believe that um, friends will get you booked, mm-hmm. but skills will get you further. That's a good That's a good way to phrase it. I totally believe that too. Uh... And I hope people see that, but um, either way... It brings me joy when I do it, and um, 
So. Um. Sorry. All right. Now, since you are a mom and you've talked about this, what kind of effect or what do you want your kids to see from the art you are producing now? What do you want them to take from it? What do you want them to? What kind of effects are you hoping, if any? That your I children think, will take I think the effects already started. Okay. I have two sons. And, um, well, here, here's one story, one example, okay? Yeah. Um, I was paddle boarding with my oldest, who's now nine years old. Okay. And uh, he said something funny to me. So I laughed, and he said, Mama, I really love making you laugh because um, one day I'll know that I'll be able to make my wife laugh the same way Papa makes you laugh. Oh, wow. So to me, that already is, because everything I want as a parent, he's feeling it right now because because I do comedy, it takes an amazing supportive partner. You know, a lot of people yeah. uh, don't understand that. Um, oh, well, it also depends on how you perceive comedy. You know, there's, um, there's a lot of people think it's just a hobby. For me, it's my career that I'm working on. Yeah. Uh, so all the costs that I put, let's say, for traveling, when I pay something at a bar, when you try to support the venue, you know, the patron, when you, even even like speeding tickets, even parking tickets in D.C., yeah. you know, from all the performance, my husband knows that it's an upfront cost. It's just, if I start a business, you would have to, like, invest in inventory and, and the, the place and staff. But this is, for me, it was, like, the best business as far as... um when you do a there weren't many liabilities or, or investment up front right it's just me my branding i go out there it's your time your energy it's your time and your energy yeah. but but if i quit i don't have all these inventory i have to sell i'll get rid of true it's something you can just you know yeah hey i did it once exactly but he and so he always understood that he always supported and he even said like you know people always ask him like how it is how is it like to be like the to have your wife go out and perform, you know, and sometimes people talk as if it was like karaoke or like bar hopping or, well, you're not good enough. She leaves you at home. So my husband would say things like, I'm not supportive. It's just common sense. If she was a doctor working night shift, nobody would judge her. But because she works night shift doing comedy, then now I should have a problem. So I become a saint because I'm supportive. No, any man would just be normally supportive. And that's how he sees it. It's not even being supportive. It's just normal. Um, you know, just like, it's like, no, like traveling too. Like sometimes I go out on comedy and pe- uh, on comedy shows and people ask me, where's your husband? But you know, you go out, guys go out and nobody asks them where their wives are, you know, but somehow I'm supposed to always be linked to, I'm someone's property, right? In a way. Uh, and even if we think that it, we're modernized, we're progressive, yeah. people still have that old school mentality. You know, Well, I still... mean, I have seen your husband go out with you to a good amount of shows. Are those people you, that ask you that sort of question used to possibly seeing him out with you if not for comedy no, for no, other no, things or is no, just no. a random oh you're no and they even give me crap for him not coming to all of my shows which I'm like he'll come to my real showcase but I mean I don't expect him to come to an open mic and even yeah. that it's on weekend and he wakes up early anyways but it's not take your husband to work anyways you know like I mean who are these people asking <laughs> oh you have no idea I have so many like, it's like who did you bring here uh, a lot of people ask I'm me the go weirdest to a girl's stuff. House later. Then get the fuck out of my face. And a lot of people ask me to write so, But what I said, what yeah. I mean is like comedy has been already impacting my kids because, um, oh, yeah, was- because they, they see, <laughs> I'm all over the place. Oh, you're good. They see, um, because they see mommy doing comedy, they're already feminist by nature because they say women can do things. Like they see it, you know, like with that. There's something more powerful than 
words is action. They see it every day. They see my husband support me. You have a working model. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, at first, we had some struggle, you know, because when my husband would say, go have fun, and my son didn't understand, <laughs> then they would think, oh, mommy's choosing fun over us. So, oh, shit. You know, he wasn't what, saying it sarcastically. No, no. When they're, they're just... seven years old, it's hard for them to fully understand. Gosh. So now we changed it. Now my husband would be saying, like, all right, you know, good luck on your work. And uh, you're saving the world one joke at a time. It's like doctor, but it's therapeutical. And now the kids are different. And they Because even at school, you know, before my first uh, teacher's conference, yeah. one teacher thought I was a stripper because my son told them, Mommy puts makeup on and goes on two bars at night. <laughs> so the first time I met them, they were like, Oh, you're a comic. You know, I'm like, yeah, because they didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, I mean... Shout out to all the, the sex workers out there going through the struggle <laughs> right now, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fight. Nothing They're wrong with that either, issues. but I'm just... Exactly. I, yeah, I support yeah. all y'all. All titties matter to me at the end of the day, regardless <laughs> if they're on stage or on stage of a pole. Uh, cool. I mean, I guess in terms of family, then how would you say they motivate you today to keep creating? Um, the kids? Or, like, just... what Everything. I mean... Um, you don't know your values until you have kids. You're not really aware of them until they'll say something and that's when you really realize, oh crap, like this is not acceptable. Like that's when you, you know, um, the best test is when, when somebody says something to your kid, that's how you really know who you are even more. Like you know your value already, but, yeah. but, but the core, like what's really close, what really hurts. Yeah. Um, I discovered it once I had children, like even more strongly, you know, like because when couples fight, it's really a clash of values, you know, even in a parenting style. That's how you were brought up. That's how. So by by having children, that helped a lot with my comedy because then I had a better sense of who I was, what I want to talk about, what matters to me. True. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say having children are good for comedy. And I think just as important is having like a solid anchor and like in a relationship right. or like a marriage. It sounds like your husband, I mean, I've met him a couple times. At He's least. pretty cool. Good dude, very supportive. I don't see him complaining about why are we here? Oh no, never. Anything like never. that, and I think like my girl's pretty solid too. Like um, she's cool. Did you guys go to Awesome Con this year, by the way? Yep, yeah, we were there Sunday. Oh, I you missed it. I didn't. I missed it this year. Oh really? Yeah, for the audience, we saw um, Justin yeah. last year at the Awesome Con. That's why we're talking about this, but. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean we had a good time too. I picked up a couple of things. I got a. Uh, that Bruce Lee art over in the corner, nice. like I uh, do, and I'm probably gonna go next year to pick up some more art. But uh, it was a very good experience. Um, that that being said, uh, like my girl's a solid anchor though. Like in terms of before we got into a relationship, I explained to her what comedy was to me, right? And it's gonna be the number one priority no matter what, because everything else falls from comedy. If I want to support a family, right, it's coming from comedy. I can't have that be a number three, right? Because it has to be my focus if I want everything else to fall under that to be supported. Um, but she's been very supportive of me too, and I appreciate that. And I think, I think it's it's it's. But she knows you're serious, hear. you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm here doing this. Right. But <laughs> she's she's another room waiting for me to finish. So it's like, yeah, like this. Because that too, you know, some people will do it for a bucket list. Some people do it for fun. And yeah. There's nothing wrong with it, but but there's different, you know, just different involvement in comedy. You know, it depends. But you're you're definitely serious about it, so it's great that you get that support. Yeah, I mean, and same for you. It's just good. It's good to hear that. It's not. A, it could be an altruism at this point, or at least that 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 feeling or or, or philosophy that having a strong anchor is good for you. Because I think oh, your yeah. husband being very supportive, being able to take care of kids when you're going out to do stuff, is exactly. Something that a lot well, of he, people would. He's hands on. He, it's amazing. But I also got lucky that I started when my kids were older. 
You know, like they, they brush their teeth on their own and we say go to bed, they'll go to bed. You know, it's not like when they were baby. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I was done with that phase. You know, I started out of, I was fortunate that I started at a very uh, good time, actually. Cool. Uh, Okay. I guess my last couple of questions for you. Uh, First one is when I ask everyone goals. So you're into so many different things. I imagine to a degree they have to compete along with like your family and stuff too just for like time in terms of goals like what are the you know when you're looking back in life ideally you're on your your bed just flipping back through the 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 photo album of life right what are the main two things you want to say you've been able to accomplish in terms of creation art whatever the field is i can summarize everything in one sentence Make it a long one for the podcast, but <laughs> well, we can talk about other things if you want. But my my main goal, and it's, it's in a nutshell, is mm-hmm. I want to work until I reach the level where I no longer need to be introduced. From your work or from being a cur, because I think to a degree you have that a little bit from just for a Cambodian community, but for my work. And know. any specific medium, just as a. Just as, 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 as an artist, whatever platform I use, I, I don't think they should need to be separated. You know, um, I'd love to have like a one woman show one day, maybe, or a talk show, because then, then that, that would that would intersect every field I enjoy, you know, talking to artists, musicians, um, making kids showcase their talents. True. Um, okay. You know, like that would be having a cooking show because I am a home chef also. Um, and, and, to me, that would be great, you know, so either like a talk show or, um, but, but either way, like as long as I get to do it, because that's part of who I am. I didn't start painting to become famous. I just painted because that was therapeutic. I mean, yeah. uh, a lot of things I did was to avoid killing myself when I was a teenager. Uh, seriously, it sounds very dark. <laughs> My parents were <laughs> no, so strict. No, it true as shit. I, I couldn't do anything. And then and, and there was so many... Um, cultural clashes and generational craft. I yeah, mean, my yeah. grandma raised me, so there was like two generations behind. There was a lot of expectation. Um, there was yeah, a lot of country, arranged yeah. marriages yeah. that I had to fight also, which uh, that drives me crazy. People see my husband and he's Cambodian too. They always assume it is. So that was one of my first joke I made because I wanted to make sure people knew that I picked him. I was so that person a... was right. Oh, yeah. Whoever <laughs> she looks like she wants to choose her own husband. And All of did. that is, yeah, yes, I did. I in did. a good way. I don't yes. mean in a bad way. No, no, it's like I know. jokes on you, kid. I know, but it's a, you have no idea. There's so much, um, yeah, so. True. Is there, okay. So what I'm understanding is, is that you want to be, just wanna you be know, me. as a Picasso. I mean, you want to be you, but at the end of the day, it'd be nice to be like, there's Prince, there's Picasso, there's Pryor, there's Carlin, and then there's Kerr. Like, you want to oh, be, that would be great. that same yes. kind of yes. breadth of notoriety, however you get there is how you get there. And then on top of that, it's, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you're a person that believes that art sharpens art. So if yes. you're working on one, yes, it, it you're helps everything. working on another. It's all connected. That's beautiful in here. All right. Um, okay, so last question. You I'll have go. a breadth of experiences in life, mm-hmm. in art, and all those things uh, that could really be considered separate things but i think there's going to be an interconnectedness obviously between them whether it's from your muse or that they're all you know creations right what's one piece of advice or what's what the biggest thing you've learned 
from all of your experiences as a creator of things that you would want to share or you think it would be good for listeners to hear? First of all, nobody else has your voice. Okay. It's only you. Um, the most beautiful things I find is um, when people are really just honest. You know, the, there's nothing more beautiful than things that draws from the truth. Um, whether it's in art, when music, it's connecting. It's a connection. You know, when you watch a painting, what makes it different? When you watch like a contemporary art that makes a statement, you know, like an activist message, you yeah. watch it, it really hits a chord, right? Versus when you just look at a plant and a potter. And it, it's nice too. Some people yeah, can some people connect. Like <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is if it, you connect with the plant because you like it, yeah. that's where the connection is. If you don't like the... I'm just saying if you... A cannabis plant, preferably, but you know. But if you really care about it, if you're really passionate about something, people will feel it. Like, I, I don't know. I just think just, just be yourself and um, it's really not that serious. And if you do make a mistake, in the end, nobody cares anyways. <laughs> so, it's true though. No, no one does. Like, no one cares that much. We're all, you know... True. Well, I think like we're all are. Are you your own worst critic as well? I definitely am. Yeah, of course, of course. But I'm just saying like, it's very serious and it's not that serious in the end either. And once you balance those two things, your people will be okay. It's not just artists or comedians, just in general. I'm just talking in general. True. Man, that's out of Eastern. And it's crap. And I mean like, that hashtag shit that Asian chick said. You know, like. <laughs> oh, we're gonna. That's gonna be the name of this podcast episode. We can hashtag. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I'll, bleep, I'll bleep out shit writing it so uh, um, your kids can see. Yeah, they... iTunes. <laughs> Alright, Devine, man. It's been... It's been great. Thank you for letting me talk without, you know, like, this is this was fun. I know. I'm not like most men. I'm not just going to cut you off and say, hey. No, that, that was really great. I'm really thankful for this show. That was great. So. Nah, you were a great guest, man. I think I learned a lot personally. Um, you put a lot of great things out there. Didn't know as much about your story as I thought I did. And that was only like a, a, a <laughs> snippet of a sliver. I right, know there's a right. lot more to it. So, I mean, I hope to have you on. I mean, as long as I keep this going, I'd love to have you and oh, please know, a couple do, other huh? guests back on again. But for right now, I'm going to let you be free. Get back to being, uh, I don't know, you're not a tiger mom. So, I guess. Uh, no, it's actually Cambodian New Year's this weekend. So, I have to do a lot of festivity. and. Uh, well, let me let, get you get back to uh, shit, having fun Cambodian style. <laughs> All right, guys. Um. Where can they find you, Devine? Upcoming. One last thing. Yeah. Well, you can see um, my stuff um, on my website, www.devine. Why do I say that? Devinecomedy.com, pretty much. And there's a if you go on show calendar, you can see all my upcoming shows, okay. and all the stuff I do, like my art, my cooking, it's all there. Instagram, Music, Twitter, or... Instagram, Twitter is Devine DC, D A V I N E DC. Cool. Okay. And you guys know you can find the podcast on Instagram at on the grind Justin Brown. Uh, you can find me at Black J Brown on Twitter and Instagram. Devine, again, thanks for having you on. Thank you so much. No problem. Hey, guys, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Until then, take care.